0: We're back again live. Um, Still no hockey, but that doesn't mean we're not still going to talk about it. Right, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. Got that right. Uh, You got another one. And again, we're recording on a Thursday. So, again, the toss-up of whether this comes out today on a Thursday or tomorrow on our usual time slot, Um, which is really not really a guaranteed time slot. It's just it's been the same for the past two months, so it's just out of necessity of one of these things have come out at the same time, so.
1: Right, I um, it's just. Uh, I, I, that's my I little bit po- of, I have
0: a little bit of OCD, and that's my little thing of it. It's like, I want, kind of. Want that's these fine, things. dude, and th- that's totally and fine. It comes up more, especially when we're in this kind of time right now, sure. sheltering a place and trying to, find your, trying to find something to do. So this gave me, this podcast has given me multiple times to do this. Um, and again, on the last podcast, I forgot to kind of plug things. Um, might as well do
1: that right now let's go yeah I know.
0: <laughs> um, but again as always follow us on our uh, Instagram and Twitter pages those will give you the most up-to-date information of when podcasts come out when clips from our podcasts come out if you want to see the video version of these because most of these places where you're either hearing this because no longer right at the moment full podcasts aren't really going on YouTube so you're just hearing the audio version of these so um well that ha- i just got a text
1: <laughs> i i heard it i didn't hear in my it for, in my ear for once which i must say i, I did i was preparing I, I don't was, miss it
0: <laughs> i was preparing for it that's why i stopped halfway through a sentence yeah um but yeah those will give you the best kind of options and because we're doing clips there if you want to see the video version of those uh podcasts um follow us on our subscribe to us on our youtube page Whitman quick podcast um I think slowly you're going to see more of these hockey podcasts that we've done here and here and last week uh, clips from there that we've liked. Um, We'll see more of those pop up there as well. Um, Whenever they'll come up, there's no really time slot of when these things come out. Oh, Last podcast we even talked about, that's one of our better podcasts we had.
1: Yes, it is. Um, I also thought of something else for podcast wise. Mm -hmm. We've got a new Mm -hmm. logo.
0: Yes, we do. I forgot about that.
1: So we can post it on this upcoming uh, uh, on this um, mm-hmm. podcast that when we when we get done, uh, Mike's gonna mm-hmm. post it uh, whenever he gets a chance. But we, we got it, a new you know, logo.
0: It's gonna go on anywhere. It's gonna come up on our Twitter and our Instagram pages as well. Yes, uh, sir. Yeah, I completely forgot that happened. I'm sorry. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. I had a bit. That's for. That's weird. How in a week one week of quarantining how it feels like it's been like a year when it's really hasn't so Hmm. and this past week i've been a little flustered for some reason so with a lot of work being essential and doing this and my sister visiting and everything so i'm slowly getting back into it but we're a little behind but anyways i think that's all we got um the more recent videos on our youtube pages if you're interested is obviously our um He's smarter than that fifth grader and um, <laughs> <laughs> controversial sports takes that we had. Um, yeah, they, just, I still, I
1: still one. lose it every time uh, mm-hmm. I, I watch that one. Or, yeah. We got couple. Every time he comes up with it.
0: Yeah. We got a couple good ones out there. Um, yeah. it has to be one of my favorites though. Yeah. 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 A kind of uh, conscious thing of the ones I think people would really kind of enjoy. Those were two of the bigger, best ones out of those, uh, out of that pocket itself so we'll see what comes up and as always just follow us on there and uh that's all i've really got right now so let's get into this thing
1: yeah so uh some hockey yep so uh some league news uh surprisingly
0: uh honestly before we get to that it's anniversary
1: it is it's It's summer day
0: yes it is Simone 10th Gagne'
1: anniversary day. Uh,
0: of when the of Flyers came back. My personally, Boston. my one of my favorite Flyers to ever wear a jersey. Yep, Simone Gagne winning it for the Flyers. Well, uh, I
1: thought I got I got to go get it.
0: That was one of the well, he does that. I'll just kind of fill out the air. Um, that was one of the best moments I've ever seen in Flyers history and sports history for me. And I know there's been great comebacks like that.
1: Yeah, Gagne. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you can't hate Gagne, especially he, after he's that. He's
1: one Gagn- of those. He, no matter what team he would have played <laughs> for he's or anything like that, he's one of those players you could not hate. Just like Pavlo Datsuk,
0: Marty Saint Louis,
1: Marty Saint Louis. Um, I'm sure he, Marty Berdor. I'm yeah. sure you can come up with several others, well, but some on the top of my head.
0: Well. Marty Bardor, people are going to hate just because of how while he played. Well, but again, f- like. Yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying, but. Yeah. But I have to say, out Danny of all. Danny
1: Breer, that, that guy's jersey right here.
0: He also scored.
1: In that he game. also scored. Tied of the game.
0: No, who else scored? Who's on the current Flyers team right now?
1: James Van Reemstijk.
0: That is correct.
1: And that was out. So, it, but again, just.
0: <sighs> all right. Going,
1: going into game that, seven. I though, think
0: that's, that's better than. The Red Sox coming back better, slightly better than uh, the, King, the Kings come back over San Jose. Even though that one I like so much just because of how well Quick just shut everyone down. Yeah. He was on his head on that. But the reason why I think those ones even better is the fact that they were down 3 nothing at the end of the first. Yep, yeah. And they were able to crawl back. I think not yeah. even at the first. They might have scored one goal by the end of the first. No, it,
1: um, I'm almost certain it was in the first period, all in the first period. And of all people, Milan Lucic scored mm-hmm. two out of the three goals. That's
0: when Milan Lucic was actually something.
1: Yeah. And not just a flat-out goon. Yeah. But, um, the, uh, so, uh, so looking back at that series, though, that was uh one of the best series of all time. And... At that time, the Flyers had only become the third team in NHL history to come back from 0-3 down in a series mm-hmm. and win it in seven. But again, the crazier thing was not only were they down 3-0 in the series, they're three down three nothing in Game Seven. Mm-hmm. The fact that they came back and won both the game in the series four to three both is tremendous.
0: Probable things to be able to do
1: exactly down and three
0: goals, down th- uh, three in the series. Yep. But by the time you're coming back, you already have momentum. So when you have momentum going to that game, that's huge. But then when you lose it, and we see it many times in hockey and sports alike, many of the more so the sports that have series, and mm-hmm. if all it happens, but not as often, it does happen. I'm just saying, right. wise, where if you're getting destroyed early like that, some teams just kind of either give up or they. they- they do too much, and it just makes yeah. them look even worse, and the blowout's even worse. The Flyers in that team was coached by a great coach in Peter Laviolette. He was barely in Philadelphia at that time, which is hard to believe, but yeah. he was barely in Philadelphia at that time, and he pretty much gave himself a namesake in this city forever. He, he All because really he called a timeout.
1: Yep. And what most people don't remember about that series against Boston is – in Game Three, uh, the biggest play that honestly changed the whole series. And although this was in Game Three when Boston went up three nothing, in that Game Three, Mike Richards wrecked David Krejci at the blue line, and he broke his wrist, and Krejci was that. out for the rest of the playoffs. I remember that. And that was the biggest momentum changer, literally and physically and mentally possible despite losing that game having uh without having David creche in the lineup for boston they uh claude julian had to scramble his lineup a little bit more and philly just was able to find one now i'm not saying that's literally the reason why but that was a mm-hmm. big reason why for sure just because look out how much depth creche gives boston's lineup even still to this day yeah He's such a crucial player to the lineup. I don't think he gets enough credit like he deserves. Uh, He's certainly one of my favorite players to watch just because of, you know, he he plays that, like, Sean Sean Couturier, Anze Kopitar-like role where he just shuts people down, but without having a player like that in your
0: lineup? The thing that helps him was – That's a big loss. Yeah. The thing that helps him now with the current Bruins team is – what's his face? Uh, Bergeron. Yes. Bergeron takes a lot of that pressure off him because he's now that. Right. I mean, even, even back the, then. They both have the caliber to do it, but now he just – Bergeron just, just grew into the that The shoulder tremendously. isn't as strenuous on Krejci, being a little older now.
1: Right. And, no, for sure. For and, and you're exactly right there, Mike. But So, th- so that, that's one of the biggest turning points in that series. Mm-hmm. But going back to the Game 7, though, again, down 3 nothing, You're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. Um, and then see, again, even, like crazier the series, is, even
0: though that happened, they, like after Klumbach, the third goal happened, Klumbach, yeah. they kind of, they didn't stop playing. They kept bringing play. They kept, they actually started playing better as a unit, as a team
1: for Boston or Philly,
0: Philly, Philly. So,
1: yeah. Which, which makes sense.
0: And what's, again, better, what's even better about it is it didn't happen in overtime. Yeah. The game winner did not happen in overtime.
1: No, it was regulation. About 7-11 left in regulation. Simone Gagnon on the power play, absolutely roofing it over to And by the way, yes, I said to Gerask because that was when – I don't know what the injury was, but to Tim Thomas, he did not play in the playoffs at all. It was all too Gerask. And ever since that moment, I still feel – I feel like Boston – Mike, I'm sure you can agree with me because you had the series before that – Boston fans, ever since that moment, they do not trust Tuukka to get the job done.
0: He's yeah, come when very you,
1: close, even went in the cup the next
0: year. Even though that was under Tim Co- Thomas, that was
1: uh, Tim Thomas. I know, but but Tuka Rask was on yeah. the team as a backup. Yet, but a lot of people still mm-hmm. don't trust Tuukka especially after that series. Now, again, there's a lot of factors that played in that series besides Tuukka You know, not and having his best games. You, but you can't just blame everything on, on that.
0: You can't blame goaltending on that. The Flyers in that whole playoff, 2010, had goaltending injuries as well. And they were still able able to go as far as they were able to go.
1: Right. Brian Boucher, uh, he went down in that Boston series in about, uh, I want to say, game five five in Boston. And Michael Layton came in, and he shut the door down. Uh, He got two consecutive shutouts. Mm -hmm. And – what, was it game five? Yeah, it, it had to have been game five. It was in Boston, I remember. Um, but he, he was just phenomenal in that series, and he looked unbeatable. Uh, even in game six when Boston scored one goal, it was a 2-1 final, if I'm not mistaken there. Uh, Michael Lane just looked on top of the world. He looked like nothing could get by him. And, 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 and cl- that's also – It
0: clearly showed. We right. steamrolled past Montreal. <laughs>
1: Yes, so Philly they they had a you know big day cruiser in New Jersey obviously uh, clawed their way back past Boston for facing Montreal but Montreal they had back to back game seven series against Pittsburgh and Washington. Yeah. that's not easy.
0: That's not.
1: Um, but I will say though that you know, again, think about the momentum you just won a three nothing series uh, or a series four to three after being down three nothing in the series and the game seven your momentum must be crazy and that first two, the first two games are at home in your hometown or home crowd. Oh man. And they steamrolled past Montreal and everything, but I will always remember this about game seven. Um, my dad's uh, old college roommate who is a big time Boston Bruins fan. He, before the series began, him and my dad made a bet where uh, the loser had to pay the winner like $50 worth of, uh, Omaha Stakes and oh my God. When when it was 3-0 in the series uh and also in, in game seven. Both times his his college roommate texted him, you know, better get ready to pay up. Mm-hmm. And as soon as and we once we took the lead, my dad didn't want to text him anything just because he was, you know, we were excited, but he didn't want to jinx it. So as soon as the final buzzer went off, he said, So about that's the stakes. Best stakes I I will ever have to this day in my life.
0: I will be honest. Yeah. If I'm going back to that time after they scored the third goal, I'm like, this game's over. Like, this You're this that confident. Over. No, I meant we're done. When oh oh oh, went oh down, I got you. I gotcha. Flyers went down three nothing early in the game. Like that's it. Yeah. It,
1: it, again, that's what you would think because and, and imagine just imagine being in their shoes. You know, mm-hmm. like they're down three nothing and. I feel like what really helped that team come together is having someone like Chris Pronger because he's gone through everything when it comes to hockey. And, he you know, he's won a Stanley Cup and everything. And, and he's been there, done that type of thing. And I'm sure in the locker room after that first period, I'm sure he did his best to really help keep guys calm and just say, hey, look, like, don't sweat it. I'm sure, we're down three-nothing. But, again, just like Peter Laviolette told, told the team in his – Famous timeout uh, in in Game Seven. It just takes one, uh, you know. And kind of kind of going uh, sidetracking off that moment for a second. Look at the San Jose Sharks Vegas Golden Knights Game Seven last year when uh, Logan Gachor he scored uh, a goal six seconds on that five minute major power play last year in Game Seven, and you hear her, you see him mouth that's one. So, you know, there's always that, you know, uh, that echo that well, no matter what, whenever you're down in a huge playoff game like that, you just got to repeat yourself. That's one, you know, and mm-hmm. let I
0: the think. momentum carry. Yep. And other thing that help was not just that Chris Prongers, but the team around them had great veterans. Livy has been there. He won a cup before then. Yes. Pierre, who was still a veteran at that point, uh, Drew mm. was still coming in, so I won't put him in there.
1: Definitely not. That was only his second full but you year, also have, if not maybe third full year. Yeah. You uh, you team in Hart- Scott Hartnell, Mm-hmm.
0: Thiemann Hartnell, Richards, Le yeah.
1: Richards, Carter, Gagne.
0: Mm-hmm. You had guys who had some experience, mm. um, so I think that also helps. So I think that's what helped. Uh,
1: Brian Boucher, but, even even though Boucher uh, wasn't fully healthy until. Probably the Montreal series, I believe. Obviously, got rather hot hand in Leighton, and luckily they did all the way to the finals. But, um, you know, but even Boucher, who's made some pretty far playoff runs himself, including with Philadelphia back in 2000. Um, And and kind of like one last note, uh, at least for me, uh, before we kind of move on to the next topic here, Mike, uh, regarding Michael Leighton. Yes, you know, he did so much for this team. And, you know, of course, the, uh, that team.
0: He was a great AHL goalie.
1: Yeah, he, he was. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he, he's the all-time leader in AHL wins for goalies, if I'm not mistaken. But the one thing that it, it kind of disappoints me is how much flack he gets from Philadelphia fans. Yes, he he let in a probably the most bizarre-looking Stanley Cup Finals goal, week, especially to win the Cup we'll ever see in history. I guarantee you it. Uh, but I will say, though, if it wasn't for Michael Layton.
0: You want not gotten there.
1: You wouldn't even have gone to the conference finals, let alone the Stanley Cup and everything. So, yes, that moment is so frustrating to replay that uh, play in your head over and over again. But again... Think about how well he played, not only to come in relief against a very smoking-hot Boston team, but then cruising through Montreal, and despite de- being down 2 nothing in the Stanley Cup Finals, he did help uh, Philadelphia stay yeah, in
0: it by winning the it.
1: next two games. They almost
0: did it again. They almost came back again.
1: They almost came back again. That's exactly right. It was so, overtime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so,
0: But before, actually, I have one last thing. Could have gone another way. Um, but this is on Chris Pronger because just going on his kind of veteran mm-hmm. kind of leadership thing, because sure. th- uh, I'm not sure if you saw the and Chicklets thing of interviewing Chris yeah. Pronger and him yep. saying how if he was there in 2011, by the end, the whole Rizgalov situation would have been yeah. different and everything, and I'm curious of what your thoughts were on that.
1: Oh, no, I, I love that interview with Chris Pronger. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm getting ready to uh, listen to it uh, at some point, uh, probably later today, because it is that good for spitting chiclets for uh, mm-hmm. Chris Pronger's interview. Um, I will say, though, so for Pronger himself, though, because he, he, you know, you know he's a huge presence, literally and physically and mentally. And, and he was mentally, captain you
0: know? at the time, but because of the whole. right. Injury but so reason.
1: Because before they both got to Philadelphia, remember, they were in Anaheim together when they won the mm-hmm. Cup. Briscoll as the backup and Pronger. Um, He was not the captain because I want to say it was Rob Nied- Niedermeyer, if not his brother, Scott Niedermeyer, that was the captain. It was one of the Niedermeyers was the captain and Pronger and the other Niedermeyer was-, was the
0: was uh, there? Who? Timo.
1: Uh, Solani, most likely, yes. And, and it's possible he could have been an alternate as well. But regardless, though having that presence in Chris Pronger, it, it changes you, especially someone I feel like like uh, Ilya Brizgalov. But in basically, to cut the story short, in that interview with Spit and Chiclets, uh, Pronger was saying how if he was there the whole time to help, uh, just in the locker room as a presence with Brizgalov, you would have seen a different Brizgalov, and I really truly believe that because again, he's dealt with. Uh, Brisgalov before himself, and, and you know, he's look out, he won the Vesna the uh one on uh, one of the years he was in Anaheim, and that says a lot right there. That's not why saying he it's got all such Chris a big Pronger. contract, right? And that's it, that's why you got such a big contract in Philadelphia. But I, I think that if Pronger was healthy, not only would you have seen a very deep playoff run from that team because that team was pretty stacked, it
0: was pretty much also, a team in 2010.
1: For the most part, a couple of different pieces that were honestly better. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I think the Flyers had, you know, could you could argue, especially if they had a better vs. of they could have had more depth in thing because behind him was, a, was a rookie right. rookie Bobrovsky uh, in that and and it's not like he was bad. Or sorry, not rookie. Yeah, uh, he, he was, it was still a very young Bobrovsky, but it's not like he was bad. They just that's how you go with Briscoff because, again, you're paying this guy a multi-million-dollar deal and everything. Mm-hmm. You kind of got to play him. Otherwise, you're going to question, well, why are we benching this guy? You know, we're paying him millions.
0: Yeah. He wasn't but, re- um, he just wasn't ready for the whole media attention about that. No, and, that. He was, no. He and, and that's something you.
1: I think that Pronger even might have mentioned to, to, uh, to Briz about, again, just the whole experience in Philly. It's different. You're going to – experience something you've never had before because these guys are they're are, animals basically
0: because yeah. you were in Anaheim granted it is right outside LA and everything but LA is the main team there the flyers right. are main focus here in terms of yeah. and everything 24/7 did not help them either. No and, and you know and even
1: in that uh pronger uh spin checklist interview you know when, when he was going when uh, he was saying how golf when he was going off talking about the universe and buried in the forest and everything mm-hmm. and you know drinking his tea on the bench and, and, and or, you know like like some of those comments he was like all right like you gotta settle down but again like the biggest comment was um, was the, uh, the the fact that he told reporters just a day or two before the game of the, that Winter Classic that he was, he was going to be on yeah. the bench and. Uh, and Pronger said that not only pissed him off That pissed a lot of his teammates off too Yeah So the, the, there's there's, you know Again there's all these what if factors and everything mm-hmm. But I, again going back to the original question I do think that Chris Pronger Would have made a huge difference Had he not only been playing But at least just had a, that physical presence In the locker room To kind of uh, Help Brizgala relax a little bit You know
0: I agree but I also think he wouldn't he would have only lasted if his injury wouldn't have been, wouldn't have happened. and would have assumed two more years. He probably would have retired, and by that uh, point, you're, so, you're saying if, if he if not, Pronger if Pronger yeah. hadn't gotten hurt, I'm assuming maybe a year or two left, and then maybe retirement. Because mm-hmm. before that injury, he was already having injury problems before then too.
1: Right. Um, I I would give him three. I, I would certainly yeah. give Pronger three. Uh, so he would have ended his career in twenty fifteen. Uh, in in my opinion, if if he didn't get that last injury, because that really put everything over the top, though. But um,
0: and that's you know, not saying again, the fire still wouldn't be, fa- wouldn't have still kept falling either. I'm no, they probably, no for still sure. shipped, they probably still would have shipped them out.
1: It's possible uh, again, like because uh, again, it's uh, it's possible they would have done the ex- exact same thing, trading him to Arizona for uh, you know for Sam Gagne and uh, you know and getting yeah. some cap space and everything so
0: yeah i think that's okay that's uh yeah we went a little on a little tangent there but that happened as Especially we, we talk did. flyers um, uh but-
1: before uh we do that though uh one other thing big thing actually regarding the league oh, so yes. yeah. uh yes. gary batman just the other day he uh it was uh he was a guest on a virtual town hall meeting held by the san jose sharks for members of its business alliance and Bettman discussed the possibility of the season being canceled as a result of the pandemic, of course. Uh, he's determined to not only have the season come to an end, but he's determined to hand out the Stanley Cup. He said, quote, it's uh, not something I'm even contemplating when it comes to uh, – or sorry, when when it comes to uh, canceling the season, he said, quote, it's not something I'm even contemplating. I believe that if the right time comes and the right circumstances based on all of the options – that we're considering in our ability to execute them, we'll get this season done, end quote. So that's one thing I'm excited about to hear. Um, despite the AHL already canceling the rest of their season, Batman is very eager to try to get this season back, on, uh, back underway at some point and successfully hand out the Stanley Cup. Now, Mike, yes or no, do you think that uh this season will eventually get canceled, regardless no. of what Bettman says.
0: Nope, 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 nope. No, he's been saying that the whole time the season stopped. Right. Is that? He and he has, and he has, and he's that, even it, talked about potentially even still having eighty-two games. I don't. Right. Think, I don't think that's gonna happen. But I. So I,
1: I was I was looking at the things the other day, just out of curiosity. I'm looking at I'm
0: looking at them now because I'm about to go on a little rant.
1: Before you do that, I, I just want to make one point, though. So the least amount of games uh, any of the teams have played is 68 games. The most amount of ke- uh, games a team has played is 71. So, again, if you are to continue – and I brought this up on our uh, Roundtable podcast mm-hmm. with uh, Brian just the other yeah, day. Yeah,
0: a, a lot of these things we might br- bring up might just be
1: um, repetitive. Uh, but repetitive, gotta, but
0: it, if you want to listen to that, just go to the – last podcast yep.
1: the um uh, but in order to make it fair worst. for everyone you have to play a uh, you have to play the same amount of games
0: yeah um all right whatever happens there I, the way i'm talking here going with my little uh rant is because it's going back to what we we're talking about on our last podcast with mm-hmm. brian um i want to talk about it on here too just to kind of Bring it out a little sure. more because hockey-wise, because I'm only seeing it in hockey where if they come back, the potential of expanding playoffs. And it mm. seems that they kind of want 24 teams. And by them, I'm pretty sure they mean Gary Bettman, the same person who wanted the draft to happen at the beginning of June and since our last podcast, because as we were talking about last time, it doesn't seem that that's going to happen because every GM said no. Every GM yeah. said no to that. Because I think what he's going through right now is uh, panic. And he really wants the NHL to come back. I think he wants it to be one of the first to come back. But when it comes back, for everyone to, I guess, see it. Because if you are doing 24, and I think the reason why they've won 24 is because that would mean Montreal and Chicago would be in the playoffs. And those are larger markets.
1: And also New York.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... You can't have – because if you look at the West, you can't have one division make the playoffs. Right now, as the season ended, the whole Central would make the playoffs. The three That's teams absurd. That, the, if that were to happen, the three teams that miss it in the, in the uh, West is all the California teams.
1: Yep.
0: And in the East –
1: I'll, 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 put it take it, I'll put it this way. But if you Mike. come back
0: and depending on how many games are played, the meaningless or whatever, Buffalo could then sneak in.
1: That's exactly right. So I'll put it this way. So the the six teams that are currently in the playoffs, right, Well, by that means, if they're to do the twenty fourteen playoff, whatever, that would mean the only teams that would not make the playoffs are Detroit, Ottawa, San Jose, LA, and I'm in New Jersey. That means Buffalo at 68 points, a team with a 30, 31 and eight record wouldn't make the playoffs. Now, how absurd does that sound to you?
0: Very absurd. 30,
1: 31 and eight.
0: Right now, Montreal's 31, 31 to nine. Uh, It's. It would make
1: 2014 a- playoff does not make sense. No, it's I, don't know why, I don't know 16 for a reason.
0: And even that's a
1: little much.
0: It is, but even then. But just, it
1: works where literally just, it's half the league. Now, them- again, think about it, when Seattle goes, when Seattle comes in a league within the next few years, it's going to be 32 teams and keeping it at 16 makes more sense because mm-hmm. think about it.
0: You literally, don't have half eights. the
1: team is in, half, ha- sorry, half the league is in the playoffs. Half the league is out of the playoffs, and keep it that way.
0: And you actually have an even amount of teams in each division. You don't have exactly this weird. Outliers. Right now, we Central still have, have seven.
1: Exactly. So it, it's very absurd. I think it's absolutely.
0: And the other thing about that ridiculous is ridiculous to even like,
1: think about expanding this NHL playoff format. Something you've already changed years ago to to reamp it. Now changing it again just to include mm-hmm. eight more teams. That's absurd. Batman just he needs to stay away from all this garbage and
0: he does forget about it. He's, I get why you're trying to promote you want again, he wants the larger markets. I get it,
1: I get, but if if you really want those larger markets back in the playoffs, they got to play actual hockey, they got to play better to get into the playoffs. That's why I don't want to see a single team complain and moan their way and saying, Oh, well. You know, if they're to, hypothetically if they're to jump in the playoffs, sure they have a right to complain. But if everyone plays the same amount of even games and they still complain, well, you should have played better in the regular season. Then we wouldn't be having here uh, here having this conversation.
0: You know, you know who else wouldn't have a chance of making the playoffs again? The Devils, 28, 29, and 12.
1: Again, a team with that bad of a record should not and does not deserve a playoff spot.
0: And the thing with that would be that they would have... eight points. hmm The thing where that would be, like, they'd have, like, a playing game or whatever for those later or farther down playoff teams, which could potentially mean Toronto plays Montreal. For one game, you could easily... I think Montreal's clearly, I think, the better team, but in one game, if it's just one game... Or maybe a, advantage
1: and what do you know? They'd be in the you have
0: You have Carey Price, and that's actually a pretty decent team in Montreal. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and I don't know what terms would be allowed on players you can call up and everything. Because think about it. Why not call up their top prospects who aren't banged up, who are NHL-proven ready? Not only that, but, you know, give someone some ice time who, again, you know, think about, for example – Imagine if you put Cole Caulfield, probably their top prospect right now, on the ice with those guys. He'd be flying around there, and he, I guarantee you, he would do some damage.
0: He would, but also Toronto would be fully healthy, too. Toronto well, fully right. healthy I, is a very I, good team.
1: It, it, they are. I'm not you know, discrediting Toronto at all, but still, I'm just saying, though, it's it, it, playing a game like that, though, It's the, oh, there's but, a lot of major what-ifs going on right now with this league, but... And it's, it's, I will another... say this, Bettman has to
0: figure it out properly. Mm-hmm. And it's already, it would be a headache, anyways, because like while those are going on, is the top teams that actually made the playoffs still playing. Do you do a couple days beforehand those playing games and then right. go in? I don't know. It's just a giant headache. Right. Which was the okay. same thing with what the draft was going to be in June, because you wouldn't have been able to really do any trades, which is a big Batman. part of the draft.
1: It, it, it really is. Because, again, uh, I'll put it this way. Perfect example. Look at uh, – back all the way at the um, – I want to say it was 2009. It's the 2011 draft. Uh, let me take a look really quickly. Um, uh, it, it had to have been 2009. Uh, it was the Bo Horvat trade uh, for Corey Schneider. Or will, will they use it to get Bo Horvat, but – it was uh, Vancouver traded the ninth overall pick uh, – or sorry, Corey Schneider to New Jersey for the ninth overall pick They used it to get Bo Horvat, who's now their captain. Yep.
0: Just saying. <laughs> yeah, trades are a big part, and the reason why, I think, obviously besides the GM saying no, but the reason why I thought it would have failed even if they would have done June is that Gary Metman thought, well, the being in the shoes – uh, back heels of the NFL and seeing how well they did with, you know, the whole, uh how their draft went out. But sure. I don't know if I said it on here on the last podcast or off air when you were just talking, but like, clearly if you're loving a rock, but unfortunately NFL and football is more popular than hockey. Right. Outside of Jeff and I, nobody really knows who's in the draft. And even this year's draft, I know it's, pretty good like the front end and the later half of the first round is pretty above average or whatever and it's pretty mm. good but i don't know anyone in the draft and right the chances are of people knowing that for average people that want sports very little there's more and it's that big and Give for chance. football's chance sake they had college football and wherever you're watching ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS Sports or whatever, wherever you get your sports there, they're mostly talking most likely talking about oh who's going to go first overall is it this guy is it this guy you might not have heard most of these people but you're more likely to hear more people in the NFL draft more than the NHL draft right granted we're, s- we're still going to watch it oh for sure uh, but no, that's not going to be as popular as the NFL's was no and that's why I thought well, um, but again, it have been a so headache. it would have caused a headache and you would have had repercussion, granted, no matter what's gonna happen this year it's gonna have a repercussion for the next maybe two years,
1: and that's exactly right. so uh, I, that's a great point I want to touch on right now. I'm like, so no matter when so hypothetically, I'll put it this way, if the NHL continues this season, you're already putting next season in a short more shortened season already. you're jeopardizing it because think about it. So, right now, it is May 14th. Uh, you know, we're supposed to already be in the conference finals, uh, at least, it, or, uh, if not probably the very tail end of the semifinals right now. Um, you know, of course, the Stanley Cup finals will start late May, probably early June, wrap it up early, almost mm-hmm. very, somewhat mid-June by like the June 10th, at the the yeah. I'd imagine
0: mid-June, a couple of weeks later. Right, draft. you had the draft and July everything. Free agency.
1: Right, again, so my only thinking is, let's say, so by best case scenario, what do you say right now is when the NHL could realistically start up again? I'd say July, if, August maybe. I was going to say
0: maybe have people come back end of June, as in people in Europe or whatever, if they're able to somehow yeah, if travel they're able back to, that, here. That, that's
1: another thing. Like If they're even able to.
0: Um, and stay around wherever they're going to play their games, wherever, whoever's allowing people to play sports mm. in their arenas or wherever. And wherever you're going to go, you're going to be limited on your travel.
1: Right. But again, because um, but I th- could... there's... There's all these what else, but anyway, we my hopeful point is, though, is
0: maybe mid July, but realistically, maybe end of July.
1: Yeah. And then think about it though. Let's say if you, um, what, so let's say all right, but at this point, let's just say, for example, mid July, they restart, you know, they start playing games. Not just they restart with the training camp and everything. Cause I, again, you'd have to do some sort of training camp. Uh, some training camp, you know, whether uh, it's even at least a week, two weeks, I say most, I say one week minimum, just to get guys going again, everything, and work on team drills and everything like that. That's fine. But after that, you know, let's say they're playing by mid July, you know, end of the season and then playoffs. Mm-hmm. You go again. So then what do you do with the playoffs? You know, do you shorten the playoffs? Do you do again? Apparently, I'm
0: saying playoffs because there's the potential of expanding teams, either 20 or 24.
1: Right, um, but then again, thing about though, because uh, if you're already in mid July and you have four best of seven playoff series, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're not only going to be worn out, but again, like, you know, I've been, I bet even if I, you I feel do like the games are going like, to be more rushed.
0: If you do like MLB, where it's like you would start out best of five.
1: Right, or or maybe do that was, just to yeah. help save the player's legs and everything. Do a best of five for the first round, just to, you know, I, I don't know, making that up. And then your best uh, and chance then, would be
0: November, December, when your season can possibly start back up for the next season.
1: Right, but again, but think about that because you already and got Gary Bettman do... has said
0: before that he wants eighty two games for next season. Yeah,
1: you. that's not happening. If you start, the fact that okay, let each any like I said. uh, Not only is this Angels season jeopardized, but so is next year's, and we're not even close to coming back to this year's yet. I don't think. Um, And
0: whenever, because then you're also going to have this problem too of Seattle, right? An expansion draft coming up soon,
1: right? And that's another issue right there. So (laughs) there's there's too many issues going on right now with with all these sports leagues. And And again, I don't know. I
0: think Seattle was supposed to unveil their logo their team they were supposed to do too. that
1: back at the all-star break if i'm not mistaken
0: mm-hmm. and now they're i don't know they why they didn't they should have back and i think the latest thing i saw on there was that out of like respect or whatever they're not going to do that
1: yeah i don't know but so overall though just to kind of put this and talk yeah, and conversation our rant's to, over <laughs> our rant over i really do think that no matter what gary bettman does if the nhl comes back this season it's going to jeopardize next season so at the at the uh, so at the latest get games done by okay get yeah all, uh, all the playing done by august but then think about it you got free agency you got the draft you have and, and unless you somehow did the draft before the season ends or you know while it's going on type of thing um and then you got to let your players rest and then before you know it it's back to training camp and maybe if if you're lucky just have it, some sort of training camp September October start hopefully late October early November that would be best case scenario and that's a big big question mark there so realistically you're already looking at starting November probably December and that's almost like a 2013 situation again where they started January for a 48 game season so again no matter what i think i uh, think's going to actually happen uh, or, or sorry, no matter what is actually going to happen, I really do think that this season is je- is jeopardized. Next season is jeopardized, and all you gotta do is, no matter what, you gotta do your best to make fans happy.
0: You have this problem too. AHL canceled their season. Right. When you come back, how do you deal with injuries? How do you deal with that? Yeah. Right They're still your uh team or whatever but are there a couple of players that are, are around town that would be the first call ups of case someone's hurt or how, yeah yeah i don't know how they'd be able to do that
1: Yeah, there's all these whatevs there but it's a that's not hate. our problem we'll see what happens and
0: mm-hmm. we'll,
1: w- do, let's let's move we'll on, on to the next topic
0: we'll give you guys our displeasure whatever they do <laughs> yes
1: exactly um but all right NHL, so
0: it's probably gonna happen.
1: yes anyway um, um
0: but what also has happened and actually this is actually kind of a funny story too um yeah jeff yes our jeff had an article come out in the last week and the funny part about that is when our last article or podcast came out your article pretty much came out the same exact time oh really that's a text you saying, wow you're we timed it perfectly for your article to come (laughs) out because when i when the tweet came out of when the podcast came out or whatever um i saw the tweet from i guess it was the automatic tweet that you have with uh, sports talk Philly saying your article came out or whatever and it pretty That's much funny. was one tweet next to the other like
1: oh wow literally That's pretty simultaneously awesome. like came that. out together. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately we didn't like talk that. about it on the last podcast, which would have been all right so we, we talk can talk about, about now. it now. Or, yeah. Yeah. And we talked about it briefly and uh and your article pretty much was talking about head coaches or whatever and Alain Vignol and and His little tenure so far as a Flyers head coach in his first year and everything, Um, and why it's worked and everything, a little bit of going back, but just just kind of spark notes. Jeff will get you into it more. Um, We talked about a little bit a couple podcasts back about how coaches are, and we talked a little bit of how Lavi led, how great his coaching was. And Jeff had a little article, and Jeff, the floor is now yours.
1: Thank you. For that great introduction there, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, for Sports Talk Philly, um, I, the, the article is called what makes Elaine Vigneault the perfect coach for Philadelphia. And, and he, and he really is just that right now. So again, think about it. So, um, it was December of, uh, 2018, uh, where the Flyers basically just fired Ron Hextall, uh, <laughs> after, there he goes, Mike's Mike, um, you know, and eventually, a little bit later, they fired uh, Dave Hackstall, the head coach. Replaced O'Neill you know, with Scott Gordon as the interim uh, head coach, and then the search for the head coach position, you know, began. Then, you know, there were reports that you know the Flyers had contact Joel Crenville, who who is uh, off skiing with his family on vacation and everything, and he was in talks with Philadelphia, and everything seemed to be dandy, and. You know, and uh, everything seemed to go perfectly fine, and then I think it was
0: like Dave Isaac who broke the story of him, right?
1: And and again, not you know, we we you know we we love Dave Isaac and and his work and everything, not bashing him for any of this, but unfortunately, so I still don't even know what even happened with all that, but you know he he uh, he ended up leaking his story or something like that, and about Quenville either uh, becoming the next Flyerside coach or or it was just rumors, for example. And um, before we knew it, nothing happened. And then I can't remember when it was, maybe March or so. Uh, Do you remember when it was there, Mike, when the news broke that Joel Quenville did sign with a team this was not with Philadelphia. It was, in fact, the Florida Panthers. Yeah,
0: I think it was April. I think it was shortly before.
1: Maybe it was April no. even. And um, so then, you know, uh, you know, if you're a Philadelphia fan and you're expected to hear Joel Quenville as the Flyers' next head coach, you're going to be a little, a little disappointed. Um, but, if, but
0: if you could have had anyone else outside of – It would have been Elaine Vigneault. Quimble, and that's exactly what resume, happened. It was Vigneault. Who, it was too
1: easy to decide. Yeah. It, it, it was almost like, uh, okay, like – How can you pass this opportunity up?
0: Um, but I I don't know Quinville's system that much because I only saw the Blackhawks so much and only see the Panthers that much. But for what I can see with AV, his system works better with this Flyers team than potentially does. Uh, Quinville does, but Quinville also has a great team in Florida,
1: right? Uh, but so. Uh, but So, Vigneault got named the 21st head coach in Flyers history on April fifteenth, two 2019. And a lot of people – so, when when you know news broke, I the first reaction I knew was Flyers fans were happy. And of all fans, New York Rangers fans were basically laughing. And they're saying – I even had a, a buddy of mine who's a New York Rangers fan text me saying, have fun with AV. I said, oh, I will. Don't worry. I, I, I love AV. This is a perfect fit. I can't wait to see what happens, and um, it, it has been rumored that Elaine Van had, you know, not. You know, it's not like that he was a bad coach or anything. He just didn't work well with younger players. He didn't work well with developing them properly and everything. And and you know, people in New York, analysts, you know, uh, fans, and and what have you, uh, all said the same thing. Oh, Elaine Van doesn't like young players. You know, uh, he he had guys like. Um, it was a uh, field, uh, Cheadle and Elias Anderson that he would have benched over guys like Tanner Glass and, and uh, Cody McLeod, like where it was, it was head scratching moves on I mean, you know, guys he benched and guys he played and the ice time he gave to other players. And it didn't make sense then. And for some, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, he has the same exact system basically, you know, in New or that he has in Philly now that he had in. New York, even before that he had to Vancouver, in Vancouver yeah. that he had major success in. And when I mean major, oh boy, uh, we'll talk about some numbers here. During his seven years with Vancouver, Vignole went 313, 170, and 57 in 540 games, winning the Jack Adams Award in 2007, leading the Canucks to a presence trophy in 2010 11, and 11 12. He also reached the Cup final with the Canucks in 2011. And get this: six out of the seven years, Vigneault not only led the Canucks to the playoffs, to the playoffs, but he helped them lead, lead them to a Pacific Division title all six times. So clearly, he's doing something right. Um, you know, he did coach in New York for five seasons, from twenty thirteen to eighteen, with another great start. He uh, not only went to the Cup Finals with the Rangers in his first year, he led he got a President's Trophy uh, winning season out of it in 2014 2015 uh the next year uh overall he coached his way to playoff berths in four out of the five seasons so again he had tremendous success there but okay. it was something about the coaching style that didn't fit in new york and it got me thinking think about when craig baruby was here in philadelphia several years ago after uh, head coach peter Laviolette like hired um for some reason, you know Craig Berube, you know great guy, great coach. Clearly, he helped the Blues win the Cup last year. And for whatever reason, his defensive style system did not work here in Philadelphia. And also, also a huge reason why um, a player named Vinny Lacivelle just did not do well at all here in his in his years in Philadelphia because he was simply playing in a system that was not right for him. Same thing with guys, you know, probably... He came
0: spe- Cavier specifically came in to be with Lecavillet.
1: Lecavillet, exactly. And, and, and those first three games, including the preseason games, uh, Lecavillet, he shined. And he looked very good. And I, and I still think to this day, I swear, that if Peter Lecavillet were still to be there, or if there was some sort of offensive system, then you Lecavillet... Would have shined here in Philadelphia, and he wouldn't have had such a poor career, a short career here in Philly, uh, and wouldn't have been benched so much. But that's just my opinion. I'm, you know, I'm rather biased because LaChavey is one of my all-time favorite players. Even when he was with Tampa Bay, I thought he was one of the best players of the game. But, um, but again, that just kind of goes to show what a good coach does. Not again, and a good system does. Not saying that, uh, you know. Uh, Peruvi, was a bad coach in Philadelphia. His system just didn't, wasn't a good fit for that Flyers team and that roster, and the roster wasn't a good fit for him. Now, when he goes to St. Louis, look what he did there. He has the perfect players. He has guys like Vladimir Tarasenko, Alexander Petrangelo. Look at those defensive mindsets that really help his lineup. Colton Pareko. Oh my gosh, Uh, Jay Beamer. You have all these defensive perfect minds out there that make the biggest difference. Now, Elaine Vigneault, look what he did in Vancouver. He dominated the league. Vancouver Canucks, despite not winning any Stanley Cups during his era, he was a massive threat. They almost had a mini dynasty in the running because of how powerful of a threat of a team that Vancouver was all those years, uh, six out of the seven years that uh, Elaine Vigneault was head coach there.
0: So I'll start my thing here by saying, if you're hiring, this is my thing, my thinking of why it didn't work with the Rangers. Right. One, the Rangers when he got in there were fall, slowly falling off their arc of being good. That first year he was there, they were really good. That was the peak of it. After they, they it, they went started. To the finals, yeah. After it, they started falling. Their GM was making very big moves of guys like. To try to keep being there, but it just didn't pan out. They traded for sure. Callahan for St. Louis. St. Louis was at the back half of his career. Didn't really work out. Same with that as- was a huge gamble at
1: that point in time. And Vignol did the best he could with a guy like St. Louis. You know, he made it work with Marty St. Louis, but again, it didn't look good when it came to oh favoring veterans over the young guys. No, again, you're not gonna bench Marty St. Louis, but Again, it kind of goes to show that you know these young guys, at least back then, it didn't seem like to a lot of people, Vigneault had
0: trust in. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Shat and Kirk, Keith Yandel; those guys yeah. didn't really work either. And after that, they started trading away big pieces. Yes, McDonough, Strawman, and
1: JT Miller—not just JT McDonough, Miller, it's McDonough and, and JT Miller. Yeah,
0: so they were starting to do a little bit of a rebuild. Elaine Vigneault, Alain Vigneault. Sure. Peter Laviolette even Quinville those guys those coaches are not coaches you do when you're in the trying to do a rebuild or no uh kind of falling off but not really there cuz the guys that he was benching weren't that great and for the Rangers and those guys that were coming up the Rangers kept trading so they kept trading their picks their guys that they had weren't necessarily the best that well, like great.
1: you said as a perfect example they barely had any picks during those years
0: because they were trading it to try to get the big piece i right. get
1: what i get what they're they gave them a lot to get ken shattenker
0: i get what they were trying to do with their gm was trying to do you are playing in madison square garden you are the rangers you are in new york so you try to get big pieces try to fill get people in try to do that you want to keep it going you want to keep it going but if your team isn't it's falling off and everything, it's not gonna work. And the team that you had was more defensive oriented so a guy like Craig Ruby actually might have worked better with the Rangers than A V did. Right. Now right now, actually, the Rangers are probably better even with the, if they would have had uh still had venue. I think it would have worked out a little bit better. Because they have but, a Yeah, couple but more so pieces. for example they have a couple better more pieces now.
1: But again, w- look at some of these um trades for example uh, that keith yandel trade uh this is a big one uh march 1st 2015 they got keith yandel chris summers and a 2015 fourth round pick they traded john moore anthony duclair a 2015 second round pick in 2016 first round pick mm-hmm. two v- rather high picks and duclair a- and another player for you know sure a big name and Keith Yandel and a pick and then another guy but in summers but that's a pretty healthy pick um uh, they you know they, they gave up uh which this one makes zero sense to me it, literally the Ducks stole Carl Hagelin from the Rangers they got Hagelin a second round and a sixth round pick in 2015 for Emerson Edom and a 2015 second round pick how does that make sense I don't know. Um to get a you know, uh let's see here. The the Rangers, remember they uh, in twenty sixteen they made a big trade to get Eric Saul. That was a big deal back then. They gave up two second round picks and Alexi Sarala, uh again, they gave up two other second round picks there. That hurts, but not having all those picks. Uh, you know, they only got they gave up Keith Yandel eventually, not that much longer. They only had Yandel for a year.
0: Same with Kirk. Uh, they, they didn't have Kirk that long either.
1: They didn't have him that long either. They gave up Yandel for a sixth round pick and a conditional fourth-round pick. That's not that much for someone like Keith Yandel.
0: Especially how he kind of turned it around in Florida. Right.
1: Uh, Brendan Smith. They got him from Detroit for a second-round pick in 2018 and a third-round pick in 2017. Some of these traits he- are baffling. But uh, again, and this is all when the AV was still there.
0: Exactly. So it, you can't put all the blame on not being able to develop people solely on the coach. Right. There's other factors that play into that as well. Sure. And um, the GM I also there... Feel, oof. Yeah. The Flyers, Thank thanks, special trades. for the millionth time, thanks to Ron Hextall, um, were at, are in a better situation with Elaine yeah. Vigneault to not only be successful, granted it took a little while, but that's just because the guys were just learning his system. But again, not only that, but... And and also this too, yes, he has benched Faraby at times and put him down uh, lower lines, Frost, those guys have had that problem, but that's because in those games they were not doing as well. They're playing either a better opponent or they just weren't showing, and AV it wasn't against them it was just cuz he wanted something better for the top pair and exactly. even with that a couple of ga- a game later he was back on the second line right so it wasn't so again that big of a you, deal. i'm sure you could argue we've that seen it, we've seen it very little here but it's understandable of those moves that were made
1: absolutely uh, but and I, I think I because really the flyers think... are
0: younger the flyers are younger and the younger players that are coming up are so good and the development they've got and everything I think it's going to work out better with AV. You'll see AV similar team of Vancouver yeah. than you did with the Rangers. They both had success. I think you'll see a longer range of success they saw with Vancouver than you did with the Rangers. Sure. That's my thinking of AV and why it kind of has worked. And for the Flyers' sake, you finally have a coach that knows what he's doing. Right. Uh, and again,
1: a and perfect example behind that.
0: that kind of know what they're doing. I know I've had my tiffs with Tarion. i Mentioned it many times on here how I've not really liked the power plates, questionable moves, but I get more experience. The coaches, Mike Yo, who was in St. Louis the year he was fired um, last year, yeah, hard to believe. Um, but he has done very well with the defensive front. He, he's
1: done phenomenal. And I I, I like Mike Yo more than uh, Michelle Terry. I will Her, say that yeah. because, again, I, I think that Yo has made a much bigger difference than Terry has not. Giving, you know, not discrediting Terry in any way possible, but look at how much work has gone behind helping these defensemen. Now, now, that's also got to shine a light on Chuck Fletcher. He went out in, in the offseason season, acquired uh, Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun, and oh my gosh, this because of those two moves and Justin Braun, he, he's really established himself in a uh, into becoming a better defenseman for Philadelphia when they first got him i was excited when i saw him play for a little while got less excited now i'm excited to actually have him in the lineup because uh, mike yo has helped him become a better defenseman and if uh, for they Philadelphia. weren't
0: to resign him i wouldn't hate it either
1: right i wouldn't hate it but again i wouldn't mind if they re- did resign him because again he's been proven to become a serviceable defenseman mm-hmm. and um, this is
0: Something you brought up, I think, in your article, or at least when yeah. you were talk when you were developing your article, and you were talking about it, going back and forth, sure. And, I, and you're thinking of when when Dave Haxtell came in, was here. that defensemen were being too risky. They're aggressive. Push, they were being too way aggressive. too aggressive. That's the, the million-dollar word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> they're being too aggressive. granted they're still being aggressive, but the smart thing that Chuck Fletcher saw and did, or whatever. And uh A V does too, being such a great veteran uh coach and everything, is that they brought in veteran guys like Matt Niskanen and Braun. Mm-hmm. Granite, they were coming off both of them were playing coming off years where they weren't playing their that wasn't their best hockey. And their their best hockeys are unfortunately for them, because 'cause they're mid thirties, both of them, um, is kind of behind them. They might have a good couple years left. Right. But that doesn't mean they still don't bring value. They both bring value, especially Provorov. Provorov was already a great defenseman beforehand, but with Niskanen, he's even better, which is and hard to And you see
1: it. You see how great Provorov has become ever since he's been playing with Matt Niskanen. And, 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 and
0: Sandheim, too. He's dev- he, yeah. he's granted, he's had times where he's flubbed. He hasn't played the best. He's sure. visible. But I think what ha- helps him is he's got such a great demeanor and how he works and that he's always going to work on his game and everything, even when he's not struggling or even while he's struggling and everything. And yeah, I was questionable the move of Penham with Braun, but it works.
1: It, it does. Uh, again, Mike Yeo has done a great job with that. But going back to uh, Dave Haxtell's, system and versus Elaine venial system. So for AV, his system, you know, it's clearly an offensive threat, but Speed, he has his players up-tempo. pinch at the right time and mm-hmm. forecheck. You know, they, they make the players, uh, you know, he, he has the players and everything s- surround and kind of swarm the net, they crash the net. His players are in, in the right position in the opponent's uh, zone. You know, they, all four lines make an impact physically and mentally. You can see players getting frustrated. Again, part of the example, look at the work Scott Lawton did all those uh, games ago again, against Ottawa. And he literally, for no reason, he forced, basically, again, basically forced Brady Gachuk to, to cross-check lots in the back when it was a crucial point in the game. When Ottawa has still had a legitimate chance to tie up the game in the dying minute or so. Um, but even from time to time, again, you might see Venyel send a defenseman in the uh, in the zone, uh, joining a rush or the scramble out in front of the net and, and and pinch in, and you know make a difference. And we've seen that several times. Now, to be fair, there has been times where, you know, just like with Hexel system, they pinched a little too aggressively, and it cost them. But occasionally going though. Occasionally, not as much, it doesn't cost him as much like it did with Haxtell.
0: Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you get Provorov's winning goal against the Canadians.
1: <laughs> yes. Cue Bell and
0: Yes. But <laughs> you see exactly how aggressive he was. Granted, it's three on three and he had more room, but with Provorov's speed, he does like getting up in the play. That's his thing. Haxtell saw it, but he did it, made him do it a little too much. He backs off a little bit now, but even now, he does it, and he's more successful at it when he does do it.
1: 100%. And not only that, but when it comes to hackstall though, uh, there were times, again, often, not just sometimes, but often, way too much, where he had, you know for their strategy, for there to be an a aggressive, pinching defenseman, and you would see it. And sometimes I would even call it while watching the game. I would say, okay, watch. This guy's going to come in and pinch. The pucks are going to get past him. What do you know? It's a breakaway. It's a two on 0, a one on 0, a two on one, two on 0. Three it's on two. Three on two. Or again, two on one. Three on two. One
0: defenseman, one forward.
1: Right, exactly. And there's all these situations that the, the team got themselves in because Hackstall had his players pinch too aggressively. With Vigneault, you still have that occasionally. Where they might get caught, but not nearly as enough as Dave Haxtell did with the Flyers.
0: I also laugh because that was the big gripe on, Hacks, on uh, Vigneault was him not playing players. Like I'm already used to it with Hackstall, so yes. what's the worst can I get, that can get?
1: Literally, <laughs> and I, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't think there's been a single moment all season long that I've complained about Elaine Vigneault and his coaching style, his coaching method. I can't think of one. With Dave yeah. Haxtell, I can write you a book mm-hmm. that's the size of a dictionary.
0: You know why he got fired? He sat "Lemblom, that last game he played, he sat him." Why? Again,
1: know. and look at how he thrived under date, um, Lane Vigneault's system before the unfortunate news yes. hit and everything yeah. with with Lens.
0: And imagine but, how, uh, great this, how much better this team would be. This could kind have of AV system could have helped. Patrick, so much more too, but unfortunately, injury-wise.
1: Again, so I think with Patrick and or just one to the two in the lineup, healthy, this team would not only be – would have stormed – would be in first place. They would have stormed past Washington and would have been at least five, ten points ahead of them by now.
0: They pretty much have. They pretty, without them, they pretty much have this season. But, oh, right. That's what I'm saying. But
1: I'm saying with at least one, if not both of them now, healthy – yeah. They would be way – here's Washington. Here's Philly. They would have been flying past them.
0: Which shows you how much death this team Not has only, acquired again, and right. everything. Even bringing Tyler Pitlick.
1: That was that question. was honestly one of the most underrated moves of the entire offseason for Philadelphia. Kevin
0: Hayes, maybe a little too expensive contract-wise.
1: Worth he's, it. Yep, worth, worth it. it.
0: Worth it at the it moment. Kevin Hayes, he's dominating. At the, yeah, at the moment, it's worth it.
1: But again, a player like Hazel, he brings so much to that locker room. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that that's, you know, that's a, the only, that was more. the only downfall.
0: The downfall was, unfortunately, Patrick going down. It screwed up your centers, and for the first month and a half, you kind of struggled with kind of having to deal with whoever was going to be your third, third center right. or second center and all that. For sure. You went back and forth putting Drew with Coturi without Drew and Katuri by the end of the most recently, before his season ended, they were together. You kind of had a, th- a feel of what they were doing. Kind of got a better idea. And yeah, you weren't the biggest fan of Connor Bunneman, but Bunneman actually worked better than anyone else. He
1: did, and I'm not gonna lie. You know, he, he, he's not my—he's not my favorite and player for whatever reason. Just cause. I would
0: love to see Frost here, but Frost needed more development. I'm sorry, and, and
1: that's totally fair. And you know, and rightfully so. Frosty needs to work on some stuff. That again, that happens with these young players, though. He's Right there, though, he's pounding on that mm-hmm. uh doorstep and everything, and
0: he's right here with too. the rest Rips of the Ripsoff came off a year where he was yeah. hurt, so it, I like that he played a couple of times this year, but unfortunately, sure. he still needs a little
1: work, and, little and that's work fine, too. that will happen. Um, I do
0: still see R- yeah. Ripsoff being that fourth line center, yeah, either next I'm year or sometime next year or whatever. Um, yeah, but still.
1: Um, all right. So that's Anyways, kind of that, but yeah. if you do want to check out my article, it's on sportstalkphilly.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about Elaine Vignol and how he's been so far, in my opinion, a perfect fit here in Philadelphia.
0: All right. Uh,
1: so moving on to our next topic here, Mike, uh, and
0: it'll be we got another redirect to the end of the podcast, but, um, Last time, we did a redraft of 2011 because NHL.com did a redraft, the first 15, and we did our kind of look at the, our first – actually, no, they did the first round. We just did the first 15 because yes first round would have been a little too much to do one one podcast because repetitive kind of gets a little boring. But we did that, and another one came out. I think it was 2012 came out. correct um, Again, question marks here on – how they did that, and then nbc sports photo or nbc sports (laughs) hockey uh page is doing a 2010 one and they're doing it more spread out they do a picture of each player of how they're uh, how they're doing it so that guy's looking at three different redrafts and are kind of thinking of them and by the end of it we'll kind of go off of which one we kind of thought that draft class is best yeah um, I All think right. first we're going to start with 2012.
1: That's fine with me. Um, so, again, a number one overall pick to the Edmonton Oilers. And, wow, looking back, obviously it's easy to see 2020 in hindsight. But they botched this one more than I could have ever think of in quite some time. Yeah. They took Nail Yakupov, who just the other week he got traded in, I think, the KHL or, or whatever league he's in for actually a Flyers prospect, which made me laugh, though. I even quoted the tweet and said, oh, so that's where Neil Yakupov is. Because, again, I didn't realize he's still playing hockey. He was an absolute bust in the league. Yeah. That was one of the... Who, whoever scouted him and said, oh, man, this guy is rightfully so of the number one pick. I'd rather have Alex Galchenyuk number one over this guy. Nothing. Of, I love Alex Galchenyuk. I think mean, he's a good player, but that's how much of a miss that this guy was mm-hmm. unbelievable.
0: But this one I actually might agree with, with how they did their redraft. And I know last time, and I have my own kind of thing of drafting goalies early, but in the right. redraft, they did uh Andre Vasilevsky first overall. Right. I'd probably do the same. That's just me. Um,
1: again, knowing what we know now, would yeah. you take Vasilevsky first overall?
0: Yeah, probably.
1: I, I I do have him number one overall. Again, it's it, it makes sense. I get it. He was originally drafted nineteenth, which is what makes this pick such a steal for Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: That's still first it, round, but it's still. A steal.
1: It's still first round, but again, it's that it's that big first overall pick. You spend it on a goalie. Um, and if realistically, you know,
0: the, that's probably if I was going to draft a goalie, realistically in the first round, that's probably where I'll probably do it.
1: Right, and
0: middle late first round.
1: Right. Um. So that's that first pick. Uh, number two, the the Columbus Blue Jackets was uh, were on the clock. They had drafted Ryan Murray, defenseman, second overall. Uh, who did you have in your redraft?
0: Uh, again, the same Philip Forsberg. Me too. Uh, Forsberg, he
1: rightfully so deserves that spot. A very underrated player still to this day, honestly. Uh, or sorry, no, me, um, okay, no, he's not underrated. He's underappreciated, like like we did in our in the last uh, hockey uh, podcast, Mike. We we kind of use the play that little game of underrated and underappreciated players. Yeah. Uh, he fits that underappreciated uh, category.
0: I'm going to go – my next one's going to go out on a limb here, actually. Well, so
1: before you do that, number three, uh, third overall pick went to Montreal. They selected Alex Galchenyuk. Who did you pick?
0: Uh, Actually, just changed it while I was just thinking of it. Um, My number three was Morgan Riley.
1: Okay, I like it.
0: He's the the best defenseman out here and could arguably be – you can make an argument, maybe the best player. You could certainly
1: argue. I think best position player, I think you could certainly argue that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go a pretty surprising pick here. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three to Montreal. Again, they chose Alex Galchenyuk for a reason. And, again, the, sure, it didn't work out for him, but if they were to go back, they would not take a defenseman like Morgan Riley. They would actually, in my opinion, take another center – this time, they will pick Tomas Hurdle okay. at number three overall.
0: That was actually my number
1: four, Thomas There you go. Uh, Hurdle, he's really grown into such a clutch player over the last couple of years. Um, he's been a very consistent player and let alone center. So right now in uh, San Jose, he's third in goals with 132, uh, fourth in points, 280 in the 2012 uh, draft class. He also set career highs in goals, assists, and points, 35 goals, 39 assists for 74 points last season in uh, San Jose. And he had one of the biggest goals in his career, help come, uh, helping uh, San Jose make that tremendous comeback against the biggest uh, Golden Knights by scoring the second goal in that Game 7 to make it 3-2 to two en route to their Game 7 r- miraculous victory. Uh, number four overall, the New York Islanders on the clock. They selected Griffin Reinhardt. Um, I remember the name back then, but it still was a little surprising. Um, he was certainly uh, – clearly thought of very highly. Um, so who, you mentioned that you're going Hurdle here, right?
0: Yes, Hurdle's my four. They went Morgan Riley on their four on yeah. the NHL.coms.
1: So I love Morgan Riley. I really do, but there's one there's only one player I have going right before him. I know I'm gonna get a lot of flack for it, but I don't care. Bring it on. I'm going Colton Pareco. Colton Pareco? Really? Yes. So I so again, so NHL.com originally so in their redraft, they had him going twelfth uh to Buffalo in the redraft, but He's 6'6", 230 pounds, third in the 2012 class in rating, plus 56, seventh in block shot, thirteenth in hits. Offensively, seventh among defensemen. He's 14th in the class with uh, 159 points in 386 games. Um, again, it's not – again, I, I love Morgan Riley. I, do, I love uh, Colton Perio even more. It's not just that. But I really do feel like the Islanders would – not necessarily calling it a mistake, but it kind of is. They would, at least at that time, I feel like they would make a move where they would draft someone like Colton Pareko, Pareko over Morgan Riley, letting him fall to number five to the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he originally went and where I have him in my redraft for the 2012 NHL draft.
0: Yeah, and their redraft on NHL.com, their five was Frederick Anderson, which yeah. I do not agree with. This is where no, not started. even
1: close.
0: This Whoop. is where it's going to get really different.
1: So, again, like I um, said, number five, I had Col- uh, sorry, uh, uh, Morgan Riley, where he originally went to Toronto and not with Frederick Anderson, like Mike Zeisberger, the staff writer for NHL.com, suggested that the Maple Leafs would take. By the way, before you make your pick, I must note here, this was the second time that Frederick Anderson got drafted. The first time was in the mm-hmm. 2010 draft, yeah. which we are going to do if we have time after this draft class. Um, so he went uh, to uh, – I forget who it was. Uh, Car- Carolina. Carolina, that's what it was, in the seventh round, 187th overall in, in 2010 class but he became eligible to be picked again two years later after the Hurricanes failed to agree to a contract. That's how he was able to get drafted again. Uh, originally, he got drafted by Anaheim, uh, 87th overall, but in this redraft, they have him going fifth overall. I had Morgan Riley. Who do you have going fifth overall to Toronto, Mike?
0: Tavo Teravainen. Oh, I like it. Tevo,
1: yeah. I do like Tavo Teravainen. I like it.
0: My number six. This This is a tough one. This is where it starts to fall off.
1: (laughs) So they, uh, so number six overall pick, it was uh, Anaheim with Hampus
0: Lindholm. Uh,
1: The uh, in the redraft, the Ducks select Connor Hellbuck according to Dan O'Leary, the staff writer. I am
0: actually going to go out on a limb here. Tanner Pearson.
1: Wow, Tanner Pearson at. Sixth overall for Anaheim. Line. That's a big jump. He, Tanner Pearson originally went 30th in that 2012 draft to L.A. Played a big role there in their 2014 Stanley Cup championship as part of that 70s line with Jeff Carter and Tyler Toffoli.
0: Out, um, out of all the guys that were remaining, he has the most points. Which is pretty surprising.
1: And, again, he's a rather underrated player, mm-hmm. um, which I like about that. Um uh, my number six, it's gonna kind of surprise some people. Um I actually have Hampus Lindholm right where he is uh at six. He's such a good defenseman, and for Lindholm himself, though, he's a perfect fit for Anaheim. They needed a player like him. He's very smart, very steady. Uh, according to Brett Amadon, who wrote his little portion of Hampus Lindholm. He also mentioned that Uh, Capable of playing in any scenario, Lindholm has been a workhorse on the PK. He leads Anaheim in total shorthanded ice time during his career. And he uh, plus uh, 759 shot attempts differential nearly doubles the next best for the uh, Ducks, Ryan Getzloff, at 381. So, again, they they need that kind of smart, steady defenseman on the blue line. Um, So, in Anaheim's sake, I have them taking – Hampus Lindholm right at uh, six where they have him.
0: I'm actually going to flip mine. I'm going to do the same as you as Hampus Lindholm.
1: Okay. And
0: then my seven will be uh, Pearson.
1: Okay, there you go. Uh, my seventh. It, so originally it was Minnesota's pick. They chose Matt Dumba uh, in the redraft. The Minnesota Wild have taken, according to John Ciel- Cielfie, uh senior – Producer for lnh.com, Jacob Truba, and that's exactly how I'm taking at number seven for Minnesota. They need a big presence on the blue line. Um, Truba, according to uh, uh he ranks behind only he ranks second only behind Morgan Riley in points, 206, and assists 157. He's sixth in power play points, 46 points, 10 goals, 36 assists, uh, averages 22. Minutes 51 seconds per game in ice time. He's a tremendous fit in Minnesota. If the uh Wild had taken him at the at number seven here, where I have him. Um number eight, Pittsburgh, uh in the original draft, they took Derek Pouliot. Um in the redraft, according to Pete Jensen, they take Matt Murray. who was originally drafted number eighty third overall? Um, who do you
0: have? My eight is going to be. Um, nice. Hold on, I just lost him. <sighs> Colton Perico.
1: There you go. Very nice. So for you, you go Colton Perico, which I think would be would have been a tremendous pick there for Pittsburgh if he had uh, gone 8th overall to Pittsburgh. Uh, he, again, went pretty uh, – so he, he went very low. He went 86 overall originally in the redraft. Uh, NHL.com has him at 12. Um, and here you're taking him 8th. I'm taking Jacob Sl- uh, Slavin. Or Slavin? Slavin? I forgot That's his name. Sorry. Um, he's another good puck-moving defenseman, and a lot of people were – furious that they uh that NHL.com didn't have him within the top 10 uh he is very productive i will say he, he's uh one of the top puck possession defensemen in the nhl according to dan rosen so he's and, and here's why since the start of the 2016-17 season among those who have played at least 200 games he is ninth at the position in shot attempts percentage 54 and percent there Third in ice time per game, 22 minutes, 45 uh, seconds. Eighth in points, 29 goals, 122 assists for 151 points. And ninth in games, 377 games among defensemen in the 2012 class. He's reliable, steady, and smart. That's why Jacob Slavin, uh, eighth overall to Pittsburgh. Uh, Number nine, uh, this is Jacob Truba, who originally went there uh, to Winnipeg. Uh, and the, they have Winnipeg taking Tomas Hurdle in the redraft. Who do you have at number nine for the Winnipeg Jets, Mike? Truba, Truba. There you go. Do you have any thoughts there uh, on on why exactly Truba goes to uh, Winnipeg or just no. a good gut feeling? I just
0: think, yeah, good gut feeling. Okay, and they,
1: there's made, nothing the right, wrong with they
0: made the right choice.
1: They, there you go. And, and I, I certainly think that Truba would have gone to, uh, to Winnipeg in, in my redraft if someone like Minnesota or Pittsburgh did not snatch him up. Uh, in this case, no, again, knowing what we know now, and I really do think that things would have been different there for this guy in Winnipeg had he been there all along. It's going to be a pretty, again, another somewhat surprising pick. I'm actually going our good old buddy Shane Goss, to spare a ninth overall to Winnipeg. An offensive defenseman, tremendous speed, puck moving ability, and everything. And he would have been a great fit there for Winnipeg, especially with someone like Dustin Bufflin, a good stay at home defenseman, but also likes to pinch and goose can help players, uh, you know, get back in, in, uh, from the rush and everything. And I think Gossip would, would have been a great, great pick. Um,
0: That's my number again, 10.
1: So, uh, for me there. Number 10, Tampa Bay. They originally drafted Slater Cuckoo. Uh, in this one, the redraft, they have them taking Jonas Corpisalo.
0: And I am taking Shane Spare.
1: There you go. And that would have been a great pick there, uh, for uh, Tampa Bay, uh, which would
0: we're, have been another if we're great pick. If we're all being honest here, I think we're. Let's just say this if Ghost was having the. This year and last year, if he was having the years he had, like the year before, and still being that productive, would you have him higher? Because I would. Probably.
1: You could argue because he, he would be plus top five.
0: Yeah, because I, I genuinely believe he will have a comeback at some point because just look at how productive and how great he was. Right. What he and again,
1: do. I really do think that Chingas' bear is worth a lot more than his mm-hmm. contract says.
0: Yep. I still, have um, on, I still have him on my top ten. Yeah, he's in my and, top
1: ten. He's in number nine to, uh, again, a team that needs defense. Winnipeg, for you, it's a team that needs defense mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay at that time. Uh, and note, interestingly enough here, eight out of the first ten picks, including the last uh, – let's see here. The last seven in a row have all been defensemen in the original draft. Eight out of the ten. In that first 10 picks have been defensemen. The other two, of course, Neil Yakupov, right wing, Alex Kelchenyuk in uh, center, the original draft. And in our our redraft is a little all over the place, which is fine, but it just goes to show how highly thought of defensemen were and how important they were during that first round, especially that top 10. Uh, number 11 we go. Philip Forsberg to Washington, but uh-oh. Clearly, he's not there. He's in Nashville because they eventually traded Forsberg for Martin Erat in a massive trade that has paid off for Nashville tremendously. But regardless, they still took him at 11. Uh, With him not being there, obviously, we both have him at number two. Uh, The NHL.com redraft, John Kreiser, managing editor there, has them taking Matt Dumba at number 11. Who do you have, Mike?
0: Same thing. Matt Dumba. Matt Dumba.
1: Okay, there you go.
0: I forgot Matt Dumba. So.
1: Yeah, um, he's – there's a couple guys I like before Dumba, uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. just because it's – I don't think rather lowly of Dumba, but I like – I think rather highly of a couple other guys before him. Right. I, um, I have a guy you mentioned earlier, Teemu Taravainen. I think he's a per- perfect fit for Washington here. He's a guy that should have been on their radar and, again – Should have been drafted a lot higher when uh, the Chicago Blackhawks drafted him at 18th overall originally. Uh, We go number 12, Mikhail Gregorenko, who, again, another player I would not have taken in the first round by Buffalo. Uh, In the redraft, they have Colton Pareko going there by William Douglas. Um, So Mikhail Gregorenko... By far another miss. Who do you have for number twelve, Mike?
0: Uh, uh, Jacob Slavin.
1: There you go. And again, a a good pick there for Buffalo. Uh, Back then, you could certainly argue that they needed goaltending. sorry, uh, defense. Because the Sabres, since 2011-12 season, season, 17th in the NHL in scoring, 211 goals, 2.57 per game. 13th in defense, 223 goals against and 2.27 per game. Again, uh from William Douglas, who dug out their stats. Uh some some good stuff there. Oh, I'm sorry, that was um, I lied. because uh, you said uh, Slavin, right? Yeah. That was the wrong person. I had the the right number of pick, but that was the wrong person. Oh, Jeffrey. I know. where did he go? I just read his stats a little bit ago. Um, there he is. Um, I, I I lied. No, th- th- those were right. I, I'm all over the places you can tell here, Mike. I can tell. Send help. <laughs> Send some coffee or something, man. <laughs> uh, all right. So that was number 12 for you. Uh, you had Jacob Slavin. I have Andres Athanaseo. Uh, he's a very fast player, as we know, currently playing for Edmonton. I think that Buffalo needed, back then, a player like Athaneseo with his speed. Sure, he took a little bit to kind of break into the league and, and make his uh, presence known. But I think with the right pick at that time, Athaneseo should have gone to uh, Buffalo. Uh, 13. 13. My uh, r- thir- Radek Foxa uh, for Dallas uh, in the redraft. Frank Gaze, guys, guys, I think, uh, takes him to uh, Cengoss' bear.
0: I'm going Kalchenyuk.
1: Oh, there you go. Nice. The third overall pick is finally selected because, let's be honest, in our top 15, the first two are not going to be selected in Ryan Murray or Neil Yakupov. Uh, my 13th overall pick, you mentioned him earlier, Tanner Pearson. Uh, he's going 13th to Dallas. They need offense here. Um, I really do think that at this time that would have been great to have someone like Pearson, like he's goal-scoring uh, an offensive ability. But, uh, of course, he snuck all the way to L.A. to 30th somehow. Uh, 14th to Buffalo. Uh, just. And one uh, – just two picks like later him. after their original draft pick, they, they did take Zemgus uh 14th overall in the redraft. They have Jacob Slavin from Dan Rosen uh, to Buffalo. Did he have 14th overall?
0: Tom Wilson. Who is it? Tom Wilson.
1: You have Wilson going 14th overall.
0: We hate him. Wow. We hate him because of what he does in the ice because of all his uh, hits and just how kind of human trash canny he is. But he is very productive. He does a lot for that Capitals team.
1: Wow. That says a lot coming from you. That does. So, ironically, I have a player who unfortunately fell victim to one of Wilson's dirty hits, Oscar Sundquist. Mm-hmm. He's a smaller player for, uh, if, if we were to get a bubble here in my redraft, uh, but for Sunquest, though he plays, he plays a big game for a smaller guy, and I really do think that he has a realistic shot at becoming a pretty decent fourth—you know—sorry, oh, first-round talent here uh, for a team like Buffalo at that time. Um, his puck-moving ability is great, and he's—you know—he's got some legs. He—he has he a lot of depth. Now, again, it's kind of a a reach pick for Buffalo here. But I think Sunquist provides more than Gergensen's has uh, in his NHL career, at least in my opinion. Uh, he's only had one good season, really, for Gergensen's and Sunquist, last couple in St. Louis, ever since being traded from Pittsburgh to St. Louis, has been rather productive. And he played a pretty good part in winning that cup with St. Louis. Sure. Um, 15th overall, Cody Cece. Now I thought this original pick was a legitimate pick. It wasn't a reach and Ottawa needed some help on defense. And they got a pretty solid player in Cody CC. Now my redraft in my in or my final pick here in the top fifteen, he falls just a little bit. Um he's gonna be just out of the top fifteen. Uh but I'm going to pick Eric Gustafson. Uh the former Chicago uh Blackhawks and now uh Cal- current Calgary Flames defenseman here. Uh for Gustafson, uh, again, Ottawa they needed defense here and he's a little bit bigger than CC. You know, he's more kinda of more of a stay home defenseman but he still provides that offense that CC does and uh just a little bit of a bigger body and would have made a bigger difference on the ice. Uh who do you have for your That's i would say that's a great pick there for Ottawa. Um, I, I think that again they need that. That's also why they picked CC because he brings that speed that uh, you know CC did, but obviously on offense wise. Um, do you have and so any notable players that we did not pick Mike that are just outside of your top fifteen? Uh, again, so some so, so three players right off the bat from me that are just outside. Of my top 15, uh, just throwing out there if we were to go a little bit further, I right. would have uh, Matt Dumma at 16, Alex Gilcheng at 17, and Matt Murray 18.
0: Matt Murray 18, yeah, because of the two cups.
1: Um, but, but again, look, cause thing 18, if not 19, because either of those teams in Chicago or Tampa Bay they needed a goalie, more likely could have gone to Tampa Bay. Uh, because of their guy, Vasilevsky, no longer being there, obviously Hellbuck being taken, they probably would have been, gotten a little bit desperate and gone for, a, again, another goalie in a 19 with Matt Murray.
0: So I think we can summarize 2010, but before I do that, um, one last thing was 2012. Because there were so many good goaltenders out there in that draft Vasilevsky, Murray, um, Hellebuck, uh, mm. Anderson, how would you rank those goalies?
1: Let's see here. So Vasilevsky one, Hellbuck two, uh, then who who's left? Murray and who else?
0: Anderson uh, Freddie Anderson.
1: Ooh, that's that's tough. Um, so it's gonna be uh, it's Vasi, uh Hellbuck It's funny because Matt Murray and Frederick Anderson, they're kind of polar opposite goaltenders. Anderson does very well in the playoffs, but kind of stru- – oh, sorry, in the regular, regular season, but kind of struggles in the playoffs. And Murray kind of struggles in the regular season, but kind of for the most part does rather well in the yeah. playoffs. Um, I'm actually going to go Frederick Anderson here. And, uh, and I'm not trying to be biased, no. but – yeah. Matt Murray isn't as great as people actually think he is. Yes, he has two cups in his name, and one of those cups he had played a pivotal role in relieving Marc Andre Fleury and really taking charge. Let alone you could almost argue both cups,
0: and there could but, be a chance he or Jari gets traded.
1: Oh, I think it's, it's a big chance, and, and we'll talk about that in just a second after we're done the 2012 draft and everything. Um. But I like Frederick Anderson just a little bit more. He's more consistent. But a big reason to it is he doesn't think about how many injuries Matt Murray has gone through, let alone all of his concussions. He is he's you know a lot of injuries besides concussions. But the uh, the concussions aspect is a huge part to how Murray plays his game now. He's got to be more cautious. He can't necessarily play his same style that he always has. Um, at least that's what I think. I could be wrong, but that's just how I think of, of how Matt Murray plays his game. I, it seems like he almost had to change something to kind of protect himself a little bit more. Um, but for Anderson, he he just seems to be the better goaltender In, in for my own personal fit here. Um, yeah, again, Murray does have the two cups, but I, I, I like going for, uh, in order uh, from those goalies, Andre Vasilevsky, uh, Connor Hellbuck, uh, frederick anderson and then matt murray in that
0: specific order how about you i have a little change and it could okay. be a bit controversial oh um, boy i'm going hellebuck one then i can Veslef- see that i i actually have Vas- a feeling then vasilevsky uh freddie anderson and murray all right
1: and, and, and that's rightfully so to say uh, i think it's Connor also very hellebuck- it's
0: very nitpicky because those two are very close they're very great goaltenders right. Um, no, but you might sure. you might ask me why would you then do Vasilevsky first overall and not Hellebuck? Because I think uh, Vasilevsky yeah. is you could, uh, he's worth a first overall pick. Uh, I'd do the same exact thing with Hellebuck. I'd wait a little longer for to draft okay. Hellebuck, but that's just me.
1: Um, if you had to pick Matt Murray in this draft, where would you take him?
0: Where was he drafted?
1: <laughs> he was drafted. Um the 83rd overall by Pittsburgh. Uh so that's at least third round if I'm not mistaken.
0: Um I'd probably take him where Copersalvo went, 62. Okay. Or, I, I think that's a pretty solid. Between cut. Strollars at 45 and Copersalvo at 62.
1: Yeah. Um uh, again, the only reason I ha- I do have Matt Murray in the first round but it's gonna be of a reach pick only because Tampa Bay, they they start gathering information at that time. Again, they originally went with a goaltender and Vasilevsky. Um if you know, obviously Vasilevsky goes first overall in this redraft for me. And then okay, the next best option, Connor Hellbach. Oh, he actually I just lied. Uh they, they get Hellbach at 10th overall. But again, it can't um hmm. Okay, never mind. Scratch that. I forgot. I have Tampa Bay taking uh, Hellbuck tenth overall. So uh, then Chicago will probably go for Matt Murray because they kind of need a goalie at that point. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I'll go Murray eighteenth, and then someone like Tom Wilson maybe nineteenth overall okay. to Tampa.
0: Um. Yeah. Let's just kind of quickly go over twenty ten.
1: Y- yeah, and uh, again, th- those were just players inside my. Um, yeah. Or, or just outside my mm-hmm. top 15 that were kind of, you know.
0: Yeah. There. I don't yeah. want this to start becoming repetitive, so we can just. No, I know. 2010.
1: Uh, all right. So 2010, we'll blow through this one a lot, uh, much more faster than we let's did just, with Let's just do
0: the 15. Let's not look at a redraft. Let's yeah, just look yeah, yeah. at how we would draft these all right. players
1: here. Uh, all right. So um, first of all, Edmonton, they took uh, Taylor Hall.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in the redraft, they take Tyler Sagan. Who do you have? T- um, Taylor Hall, Tyler Sagan, or somebody else?
0: Tyler Sagan. There you go. Who you got?
1: Vladimir Tarasenko. Really? I do. Uh, Edmonton's going to make a bigger splash here. Tarasenko. I-, I like Tyler Sagan a lot, but Tarasenko is more of a complete player, and he's kind of more of a player than I think what they should be looking for in Tyler Sagan, nothing against Sagan or Hall. That's just how, much, th- how highly the, I think of Tarasenko.
0: The only thing I can counter that with is Tarasenko, Winger, Sagan center.
1: Right. And again, I know you can build a franchise around a center compared to Winger, but I still really do believe that um for Tarasenko though, he, he's he kind of like, not like Alexander Ovechkin in saying he's, that franchise you know once in a lifetime franchise pick like Ovi is but he he's a very highly uh sought out pick that honestly should have gone much much higher and, and again my opinion he should have gone first overall to edmonton all
0: right
1: uh boston number two they took uh tyler sagan uh again a great pick there in the redraft they have taylor hall going to boston so in the redraft they have uh, Tyler and then Taylor instead of Taylor and Tyler. Who do you have at number two?
0: Tyler and Taylor.
1: <laughs> there you go. I'm gonna get a lot of heat for this upcoming pick as well. Um, I still don't have Tyler Sagan or Taylor Hall. I have Evgeny Kuznetsov,
0: another winger, or An- another center? winger. Yeah, uh,
1: it's it's these. Oh, no, he's the center. Never mind. Or, I'm sorry, you know, Is a center, but again, Kuznetsov, though. He, he's an, a big difference maker. He plays with such a unique playing style and his scoring ability, his playmaking ability. He's a player worth taking in this draft. at number two, despite there being Tyler Sagan and Taylor Hall. Uh, number three, Eric Branson went to uh, Florida, the defenseman there. They had Mark Stone, who originally went 178th overall to Ottawa uh in this redraft to Florida third overall who do you have third
0: uh Ryan uh Ryan Johansson
1: Ryan Johansson third overall according to Mike now I have Tyler Sagan going third overall to Florida uh fourth overall Columbus they took Ryan Johansson uh great pick there um he of course was in that trade of Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones, which I thought was a very fair trade, rather even, because uh, both players at the time weren't doing that much for their teams that drafted them, but ever since that trade, both players have established into some younger stars. But, um, fourth overall, I have Taylor Hall. Who do you have?
0: Vladimir Chersenko.
1: There you go. That's a great pick there. In uh, the redraft, uh, and getting to that Fourth overall pick, they have Tarasenko. According to Brian Compton, in his opinion, going to the Blue Jackets uh, for Tarasenko, uh, Columbus's pick fourth overall. I had uh, Taylor Hall. Like you said, number five. Who do you have?
0: Afanasy Kuznetsov.
1: There you go. Solid pick. There they. Uh, I'm just originally drafted Nino Niederreiter. A uh, good pick. There he's played some great. Um, part in Minnesota Wilds history and he is currently on the Carolina Hurricanes uh fifth overall I have Mark Stone so a pretty good pick there for the Islanders kind of hitting a home run uh number six overall Brett Connolly. went. uh looking back I like Connolly, but he does not reach the first round at all in this redraft for me um oh I'm sorry I'm, I'm going to fifth overall really quickly in the redraft Uh, John Kreiser, the managing editor. Uh, He took John Klingberg, just to uh, put that out there. Uh, Sixth overall, uh, Ryan Johansson.
0: I'm going Stone.
1: You're going Mark Stone, sixth overall to Tampa Bay. Good pick there. Number seventh, to Carolina. They took Jeff Skinner, who ended up winning the Calder Trophy uh, his first year as the Rookie of the Year. For me, seventh uh, sorry, uh, six overall really quickly. Sorry, I forgot. Uh, Frederick Anderson went here in the t- 2010 redraft by Tampa Bay, according to Bill Price. Um, now going to 7th overall, they had Jeff Skinner for Carolina. I took Justin Falk. I did as well. Justin Falk is just, uh, mm-hmm. Carolina, our first pick that we both agreed on. Uh, in their redraft, uh, Sebastian Schumbel, uh took Evgeny Kuznetsov good. I like that. Uh, eighth overall, Atlanta, who no longer exists. They took Alexander Bermistroff, Bur- who I thought was a good player, but he hasn't played in the league for quite some time. Uh, here, I take John Klingberg. I'm going Nino. You Nino Ryder. I like it. And in the redraft, it took Ryan Johansson, uh, number ninth overall, Mikel Grandland, uh, going to Minnesota. In the redraft, it was Jaden Schwartz. In my redraft, I would Charlie Coyle, a fellow Minnesota Wild player at that time.
0: I'm going Jeff Skinner.
1: Jeff Skinner, I like it. I like it. Moving right along here, um, number 10, New York Rangers, Dylan Mapparath, a defenseman there. Uh, They take Justin Falk in the redraft. I have Kevin Hayes, Hollywood Hayes going 10th overall, who originally went 30th, or sorry, uh, not 30th, um, 24th, my bad, uh, to Chicago uh, that year. you
0: got mike uh we're on 10 right or
1: yeah we are on 10. charlie Coyle. charlie cole good pick there number 11 dallas to jack campbell uh in the redraft they have uh the uh so the Stars have Jeff Skinner going at 11. I have Nino Niederreiter.
0: I've got Tyler Toffoli.
1: Tyler Toffoli, good pick there. Uh, number 12, Kim Fowler, great pick there, who I think is in uh, is the uh, first round for me, but I have them going uh, Jaden Schwartz here at number 12 overall.
0: I've got Jason Zucker.
1: Jason Zucker, what a pick there off the charts here a bit um 13th uh, Phoenix selects Brandon Gormley defenseman of 13th uh, Tyler Toffoli goes there in the redraft I have Tyler Toffoli just like David Satriano, C- uh, and the staff are there picking for uh, the Coyotes who do you got at uh, 13th overall
0: um I've got uh, Schwartz.
1: I like it. 14th overall St. Louis, they took Jaden Schwartz. Uh, with the redraft, they took Cam Fowler and I have in my redraft Mikael Gramland.
0: Uh, all right.
1: Who do you got there?
0: Cam Fowler.
1: Cam Fowler, good pick there. Last but not least, Los Angeles takes defenseman Derek Forbert. Um, again, another player not in my first round. Uh, in the redraft, they have Brock Nelson again taken. And that's a very good pick. Another player I have just outside my top 15. I take Brendan Gallagher, who originally got drafted 147th overall by Montreal.
0: I'm going Grandlin.
1: Grandlin, there you go. Some good picks. Uh, two players, again, also just outside my top 15: uh, Cam Fowler and Jeff Skinner other than that, a pretty solid draft here, Mike.
0: Yeah, I'd probably say out of uh, – I don't know. Um, if we go back to 2011, too, um, that's a close one. I, 2012 is definitely not even close compared to uh, 2011 or 2010. Right. Um, so looking 2011 at 2011 has Schuberto. um Kudrow, his,
1: Scheifele, Landisgaard, Goodrow. Kudrow. Bennington, Katori Gibson, Zabanejad, Saad. you could argue, Huberdo, Nijin Hopkins, mm-hmm. Dougie Hamilton, JT Miller, William Carlson, Andre Pallat, Vincent Trocheck, Ryan Schramm, Rick, Ricard Raquel, J.G. Pajot, Oscar Koch, Boone Jenner, Andrew Shaw, Blake Coleman, Jonas Brodine, Josh Manson, Joel Armia, Joel Edmondson, Adam Larson, and Ryan Dezingle. If I'm not mistaken – Every single one of these players are still playing in the league today. Yep. So would you say that the 2011 draft out of uh, the 2010 and 12 draft is the best draft class?
0: Definitely better than 2012. Um, It's definitely
1: better than 2012. 2010 2010 could make an argument, but I still. Sagan
0: again, uh, Hall.
1: Again, some of the top picks here. Uh, Sagan, Hawk, Kaznetsov,
0: Teresanko, Stone, Johansson, Paul, uh Tafoli, Royal, Greenland. Yeah, mine's 11, 10, 12.
1: 11, 10, 12. I like it. I think that's exactly spot on with the exact order on what it should be ranking the draft classes here.
0: Yeah. Because if you had to put a team together and those people with
1: 2011. Oof, man. Just imagine Sh- Shifley and Katoria and Couture have uh, uh, a line like that.
0: Landis Cog too. Landis Cog, Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think 2011, no question about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Granted, goaltending, 2012, got it. That's the other thing. is There's
1: a lot of these what-if factors. If you're going off, basically off of a full team, probably 11. But if you're going by position, goaltending, 2012 draft, wins it.
0: Uh, and with that, we're going to go off that. And I think that's all I got for today. Yeah,
1: um, So it's a little bit of a longer podcast today, surprisingly. But again, yeah. that's why I love these uh, NHL redrafts, So It's very exciting mm-hmm. just to get – just to see what, you know, the redraft opinions are on so, so-called analysts and experts.
0: Yeah. Um, the and I've always looking loved forward to the, is 15. the
1: redraft ourselves. yeah.
0: <laughs> I said the one we're really looking forward to is 15.
1: That I'm very excited. Looking forward to that. Um, knowing what you know now, where would you put Pavlo Zaka?
0: Wait, first round, maybe not, yeah,
1: Pro- probably yeah. second round at this point. Yeah, just saying.
0: Mm-hmm. And with that, that's where we're going to end today. And yes, Tuesday, we'll see you.